This is an ABC podcast. We didn't always sweeten our food, you know, unless you found some wild honey or you're having some pawpaw or some pineapple. There really wasn't any way to sweeten the food. During the 1830s, there was no documentation of sweetening food. As we get to 1900s, particularly 1920s, when the term maisuka was created, which means type 2 diabetes. Diabetes is a big problem. It's real. One in every three Fijians, for example, are being diagnosed. These are the known cases, let alone the unknown ones. All over the Pacific, food has given our ancestors so much more than sustenance. It's been used in ceremonies and presented as offerings for centuries. And we continue to use it to show love, to welcome babies and to honor our elders. We love our food and so we should because so much beautiful food grows in abundance on our lands. But in recent decades, one type of food has transformed our diets and our lifestyles and sadly, it's killing us. I'm Hilda Wayne. Sisters, let's talk about sugar. In the 21st century, is it possible to live without sugar? Of course not, because sugar is more than the white granules that you picture when you hear that word. Sugar is in fruit and in dairy and beautiful green vegetables. And that's a good thing. It gives us energy. The problem is refined sugars and other carbohydrates that are in processed foods because they can make it really difficult for us to have a balanced diet. I'll tell you more about that soon, but first, let's look at what our diets used to be like before refined foods like rice, flour and sugar were available in the Pacific. Amy Maslin-Miller is known as the Samoa Scientist. She's a PhD candidate at the University of Auckland, and she has been researching traditional diets of Samoan women through oral histories and missionary accounts. We were looking at food because when you go to the doctors and you're, you're diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, they always say, exercise and eat healthy. And I was saying, okay, I love food. <laughs> so I'll, I'll look at the food part of it. And I want a better way to learn more about my culture by looking at the Samoan traditional food. So a lot of the topic came from my own passion and my own aims of wanting to help our community. You've held Talonoas with Samoan women who have knowledge of traditional food. Um, what have you learned from them? I'm currently going through that data at the moment, but generally, and this is just all preliminary kind of things that I've noticed, is that there's some really great knowledge that I've learned about Samoan traditional foods and that the way our food is prepared, um, the way that we use food as a sign of respect and we will only give special types of foods to important people. So within our culture, that's mainly the whaiwhiao, the, the, the minister, and also Matsai, so village chiefs as well. And it's really encouraging to see that we have that relationship with food and highly regard it within our Samoan culture, that it's not just of nutritional value, but it has a lot more significance for us. Tell me one of your favorite stories that this one of these women have shared with you. One of the women that I 
talked to, she was recalling a time when she was growing back, growing up in Samoa. And she said after school, when she would come home to her whale, which is a traditional Samoan house, so has a roof and no walls, she would grab a galo, a taro, a piece of taro or a piece of fa'i, cooked banana, and then she would walk down to the sea because their house was by the sea. And she'd walk along the rocks and she'd look into the water and find kui kui, which is sea urchin. So she'd go and get the kui kui in the sea and then she'd have that with her taro or her fai or her banana. And that would be her afternoon tea. And she also talked about that she noticed that the kui kui, the sea urchin, was the most creamiest when the mosa'oi plant, the yelang yelang plant, was slightly brown. So the, it has yellow flowers, and the, she noticed that when the flowers were slightly brown, that the sea urchins were the creamiest. And that for her, that was an indication to collect kui kui and have that for her afternoon tea. And I really love that story because it's a beautiful image of having food from the land and the sea. And that's really, I feel like that's what our traditional foods are all about. Amy has also studied historical documents dating back almost two centuries to better understand how Samoans ate in the early days of colonization. So missionaries came to Samoa in the 1830s. And during their time there, they observed food that was commonly eaten. And so a lot of the documents talk about taro, breadfruit, banana, yam, coconut, and fish as main uh, everyday foods of the Samoan diet. So essentially a pescatarian diet that our Samoan ancestors had back in the 1830s. Interestingly, the missionaries didn't record much about sweeter foods like fruit. I'm not sure why that is. I mean, because the documents are written by missionaries, you know, they that wasn't their main purpose of being in Samoa to record foods. So they may have just, you know, quickly noted down foods that they saw at special events or just foods that they were given because fruits would have definitely been in Samoa during that time because especially with the development of export. Mm. It's interesting to think how much we sweeten our food now and it makes you wonder if people did sweeten things, you know, back in the past? Well, during the the 1830s, there was no documentation of sweetening food. But it was more further as we get to 1900s, particularly 1920s, when the term maisuka was created, which means type 2 diabetes. So that happened during the 1920s when the, there was a lot of introduction of sugar, so the refined sugar, and just basically from there onwards, particularly 1960s, type 2 diabetes became a really increasing problem because of the availability of sugar, being able to add it to a lot of our Samoan dishes like koko Samoan, as well as meals. But Traditionally, the Samoan traditional foods was very starch-heavy and no sugar at all, really. Particularly if it was sugar, it would be um, just sugar from the fruits. So what has Amy learned about the introduction of refined sugars in Samoa? Having people 
from other countries come to Samoa, particularly influence from German colonization, some colonization of the Americans as well. They also bring foods that they are able to transport for long periods of time. And so sugar is able to be transported for a long period of time and kept for longer. There's also the influence of during cyclone times as well, a lot of aid would respond to Samoa and they would provide food that could be stored for a long amount of time. So that included flour and sugar. And so when those foods were really available in the country, then people became more accustomed to those types of foods. And in the 1990s, we then seeing that shift away from traditional foods, foods from the land and the sea and Samoa to more sweets, high processed foods, and just a real shift in the diet, which is um, what we're seeing today as well. How feasible do you think it would be for people today to go back to eating, you know, the more traditional diet that our ancestors were used to? Oh, it's it's possible. And I believe that'll be great to have a variation of what our ancestors ate. Here in New Zealand, some people still do their almost the traditional earth ovens and getting the galo. Okay, it's not fresh, you know, it's shipped over here to New Zealand, but it's a variation of what our ancestors eat. So yeah, anything's possible. That's Amy Maslin Miller, also known as the Samoan scientist. She's a PhD candidate researching diabetes among Samoan women in New Zealand by looking at the traditional diets of their predecessors. This is Sisters Let's Talk with Hilda Wayne. So let's talk about the connection between our modern diet and diabetes. And I promise I'll try to keep it this simple. Carbohydrates are in so many foods that we eat. Fruits, all grains, green vegetables, sweet potatoes. It's a long list. Those foods contain fiber, proteins, vitamins, and minerals. And when all those things are combined, they fill us up and give us fuel to get through the day. But when we refine food, particularly all grains, we're removing the fiber and vitamins and essentially all that's left is the carbohydrate. That's fuel, but it doesn't fill you up as much, so you turn to eat more of it. Then when we refine sugar, which is also a carbohydrate without fiber or vitamins, we add it to food to preserve it and make it taste sweeter. And that also makes us want to eat more. So how does eating more carbohydrates with less fiber and fewer nutrients lead to diabetes? I'll let an expert explain that. Salaneta Awea is a dietetics and nutrition lecturer from Fiji who is currently studying a PhD in Otoroa, New Zealand. To understand sugar and diabetes, how are these two connected? You need to know the, the pathway of uh, how sugar will be used in the body. Uh, there is an important organ in our body called the pancreas. It's on the left side of our body and behind the stomach. So there are two hormones released by pancreas and one of them is insulin. And one of the important role of uh, insulin is to regulate the sugar that we eat. When we eat, we fuel up, we uh, have uh, energy. Now, when that is used up, glucagon is also released and that gives the fuel to us to work, to walk. Uh, to do other things. So 
as we eat and eat and eat, there is fluctuations of these two uh, hormones. And the causes of this, what has been studied is really the irregularity of the hormones and also um, the too much sugars being stored in the body. The problem is too much, just eating too much and then not using that too much in the forms of physical activity. Uh, the problem we have nowadays is not just the food, not just the processed refined sugars and carbohydrates. It's also because we are not using up the glucose sources that's being stored. Okay, I think that makes sense. Carbohydrates gives us energy, like petrol for our fuel tanks. The problem is we're adding too much petrol and not burning it off with regular exercise. So what are the signs that irregularities in the pancreas have caused diabetes? Urinating a lot, being thirsty, sometimes fatigue, and also eating a lot, loss of weight, and other complications follows like kidney problems, retinopathy, eye problems, and also nerve problems. How prevalent is diabetes in the Pacific? Fiji tops the highest the latest statistics from International Diabetes Federation, according to that, for ages 20 to 79 years old, Fiji, the prevalence rate is 17.7%, with Papua New Guinea having 16.7%, also Tonga 15%, and Samoa 9.2%. So it is a big problem with Fiji having nearly one in every three Fijians being diagnosed with a diabetes. And sadly to say that one in every 12 hours, there's also amputations going on. Diabetes alone is not a death sentence. It's the complications caused by diabetes that make it so deadly. For example, it causes kidney failure and the treatment for that is dialysis, which in the Pacific can be expensive and difficult to access. Nerve damage is another complication, which if untreated means having your feet or legs amputated. It is a crisis in our health system across the Pacific. What role do we women have to play in reducing sugar in the Pacific diet? The role of women is very important. They are role models and also they are caregivers. Uh, you know, the, they are the main chefs, the cooks in the homes. They test recipes. They buy foods. Women also need to be aware of food labels, meaning they need to, to know what is in the foods that they buy or the foods that they get from whichever sources. For example, these particular recipes of food items that might be too sugary, they can explain to the family members that particular foods are too sugary, so they don't need to buy that or reduce the use of those particular foods. And this goes the same way for salted foods. And the other thing is because mothers play nurture roles in rearing up children, I believe they're the ones that can make long-lasting uh, lifestyle habits, especially in early life, instilling good food habits. And I don't mean to exclude fathers as well, or the parents, or even any caregivers like grandparents. So acquiring lifestyle habits from early age also rests with the women um, because they play multiple roles at home. And one of that is rearing up children. I have five children and uh, we do that when the kids were growing up is to give them good foods and exclude uh, refined and mostly unhealthy foods 
like junks from that. Uh, once they start acquiring the junk food's taste, they will keep wanting that and will not want to eat the, the healthy foods. So it's really important that women do play role models. They do eat the healthy foods and also give the healthy foods to their children and also their family. One of the good examples is the, the when you mix uh, tea with sugars, try to advise children from young age that it is not good to have a lot of sugars. So disciplining them with the amount of sugar, uh, one teaspoon or less, becomes a habit throughout. And um, throughout adulthood, they will tend not to have put too much sugars. Some even the communities I see put in two tablespoons of sugar in one cup of uh, tea or cocoa. And that is really too much. I've seen people put in three, four teaspoons of, teaspoons wow. of sugar into a cup, and it's, it's like a big issue. So how do we train ourselves to have that tea, tea that I was talking about? How can they make it more healthier and sort of cut that sugar out of their, their, their tea that they, they love so much? We need to change our, our thinking and also our behavior to um, come away from those things we can do something else. We can have something else instead of having the tea. Eh? And there's other substitutes, it's alternatives like lemon leaves and also lemongrass, was in Fiji. And we don't need to take sugar. It's really fine not to have sugar with your with your tea. It's just the, the it's a lifestyle habit. So people have been doing that over the years, and it's it's a habit. What are a couple of your favorite suggestions for reducing sugar in our everyday diets that are simple and achievable? Uh, one of that is the, the use of local fruits. They're just in abundance and we are not using this. Fresh fruits and vegetables, uh, especially fresh fruits, we can make juices out of it, blended. You don't need to add sugar to it. Coconut water is in abundance. You can add that to your base. So this morning I saw a friend in my Facebook feed uh, just producing a reel or video on making his homemade juice. And that is so exciting to know that people are going towards a healthy lifestyle by making use of uh, local resources such as coconut water, local fruits that are in abundance or seasonal pineapple, make use of watermelons, lemons, and don't add sugar. It's just okay as it is. You can garnish it with mints are growing everywhere. Uh, there are other garnishes that are natural sources. And you don't have to use supermarket bought sugars. We are so blessed in the Pacific. Uh, you go into any market, you'll see fruits and vegetables in different colors. I'm just amazed at how we have so much in abundance yet. We also have diabetes uh, and other non-communicables. And it's really sad that we are not making use of our local resources. Yeah, just, mm. just try for one day. Try something out new from the local gardens or the market. And you love it. And when you make it a habit, just like how you've been eating too much sugar, you reverse that, you, you'll find that you love the change. Are slow and incremental changes easier than trying to cut um, it out? Cut it out quickly? Really? Yeah, not too drastic. The starting point is usually hard. Behavioral change is a challenge for a lot of nutritionists, for the health workers, is to change people's behavior, but, but it can be done. Diabetes is a lifestyle disease and you can conquer it, you can reverse it, 
with lifestyle patterns and changes. That's dietitian Salineta Awea with some really useful suggestions for how to cut back the sugar and refined grains in your diet. Do yourself a favor and just try one of her tips to begin with. I've decided to have a bit less sugar in my tea or coffee and soon I think I'll be able to enjoy a cuppa with no sugar at all. This is Sisters Let's Talk with Hilda Wayne. One of my favorite people to talk about traditional Pacific diets is Papua New Guinean sustainability advocate Jennifer Buying. I always get inspired by a passion for the foods that I grew up eating in the Western Islands. Our food is so nutritious and it sustained us for so many generations up until now. And there's a lot of old people who are still living um, because they, they were born and bred on that diet for such a long time. It's only just recently that all these processed foods have started coming into the picture and have really degraded the um, the diets and the health of a lot of Indigenous people and a lot of you know, people globally. Mm. I know you've got a lot, but can you share one recipe with us that can be recreated by people listening across the Pacific? I would say something very simple that you could do and sweet potato, kumara, cow cow is pretty much accessible to everyone is just um, some creamed... Uh, you can just get your canned coconut cream if you can't get access to um, fresh coconut and just peeling your sweet potato and putting it into the pot and boiling it up with a coconut cream with some shallots and some ginger and a bit of garlic, maybe a bit of turmeric to make sure it's got all those different uh, nutritional elements to it. But yeah, just a simple um, sweet potato dish. I mean, that's one of my favorites. I love I love cow. I love sweet potato. It goes with anything. <laughs> and you can add chicken to it too. Ah, yes. And could you run us through the different types of greens and how to cook them? Well, one of my favorites are actually pumpkin shoots. And I think that's, that's something that can be grown if you're, if you're not here in Fiji, if you're not in the Pacific, you can still eat pumpkin shoots. Um, <clears throat> that's one of my favorites, the young pumpkin shoots, just, um, just peeling off the, the, um, off the stem, this sort of like a furry sort of skin that you can peel off and, um, and you can just cook it in some boiled coconut cream with a bit of salt. And that's, that's always really, really delicious. Uh, I don't know. Something about the leaves. It just captures the different ingredients and so forth. That pumpkin leaf, it's, yeah. just, it's just beautiful. Yeah, and it's got a nice creamy flavor to it as well. Yeah, I really love pumpkin <laughs> leaves. How much money can people actually save yeah. by eating traditionally? Oh, you can save a lot of money by eating traditionally. You know, up in up in Gurk, I know when I would go to the market, you know, ten kina, which is probably about five dollars or something, can get me, you know, five piles of cow cow. Like I don't know, maybe that's like twenty twenty cow cows. And so, depending on you know your family, how many people you're feeding, you know, one bag of rice, one little one kg pack of rice can feed a family for one night, and that's five kina here. So, buying sweet potato from the market is a lot more economical anyway. But it's just the effort, you know. Everybody wants. Easy, the easy way out. So, you know, rice for Pacific Islanders is that that's the new staple. Like everybody's just eating rice, rice with everything, rice and tin fish, rice and bully beans, <laughs> rice and chicken. We've just got so much, you know, great food and the land is really great too. But going back to flavor and taste, do you think having too much sugar has changed our taste in Pacific countries? Yeah, it probably has, you know, it has. In fact, it has, you know, it, it's, it's, it's an addiction, you know, sugar is an addiction. So 
like I said, you really have to make a conscious effort to just sort of phase it out of your diet as much as you can. Um, it's very addictive and, you know, a lot of health problems come along with it as well. So the more you can cut it out of your diet, the better. And focus on eating your local foods as much as you can. You know, try to at least, you know, have rice maybe two or three times a week and the rest of the week try to make sure you get some yam or some taro or some cow cow or even potatoes, just not rice. Mm. Did we always sweeten our food or is that a modern concept of development? We didn't always sweeten our food. I mean, you know, fruits were where we got our, our sugar from. I know in, in, in Markham, where I come from, sometimes we use the inside the, the water of the coconut to um to cook with, which adds just a slight sort of sweet flavor to the food. But, you know, unless you found some wild honey or you're having some pawpaw or some pineapple, there really wasn't any way to sweeten the food. You know, you just drank water, you drank pulao, you know, green coconut or yeah, I mean, that's as far as it went. Well, you ate sugar cane. That's where you got your sugars from. Nowadays, you know, everybody has to have their tea and, you know, their packet of sugar, you know, by the fire and uh, heavily into tea drinking, as well as Coca-Cola and everything else. People opt to drink the Coca-Cola. If, uh, if a, an island is going to pay for something, they're not going to pay for water. They're going to pay for Coca-Cola or something else. True. And you talked about the access to these foods in the markets and facing it out. But what are some practical tips to uh, do that when you are busy and used to sweeter flavors? Well, if you're busy, just mark out one day in the week and just go and buy bulk. You know, buy as much um, of those um, those types of crops that are going to last a long time. Sweet potato, it can last in your cupboard for, you know, two, three weeks for a very long time. So just get stock up on those root crops. You know, maybe if you do it once a month or something, so at least for two weeks of that uh, that month, you can have access to root crops instead of um, rice and just mix it up with your food. And, you know, things like cabbage, that lasts a long time in the fridge. So you can get cabbage, you can cream that with coconut and grated carrot and, you know, some other vegetables as well, um, onion. I often found, especially, I mean, in PNG, we've got access. We've got lots of access to greens. We've got access to greens everywhere. People are selling it on the streets or, you know, on the side of the road. But in particular in Australia, I noticed, that, you know, when I was living down there and also, you know, when visiting, it's really hard to get access to greens. You know, the Chinese cabbage is so expensive. It's like, what, $2 for a small bundle? Or, you know, it's <laughs> yeah, a yeah, yeah. Like Pacific Islanders, they like to eat greens. I mean, Papua New Guineans love to eat greens. You know, we'll, you know, we can just eat kumu and just, Cow cow alone. We don't have to have meat. That used to be my staple food. <laughs> and uh, I found really hard down in Australia. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling malnourished. You know, I need greens. I need cool, you know. And uh, oh, who's getting the access to it? You, you, oh, it was really hard. But mm. you know, we get taro and uh, cow cow from <clears throat> Thailand, Fiji, uh, Samoa, Tonga. We, we've, we've got taro now. Yeah, I mean, please, can we connect to all? Please, PNG needs to send some of our root crops yeah. down there too, you know. And, and, it's one side <laughs> and we also have Ibiza, can you believe it? I actually went into this Asian shop and I was just blown away that there's a particular cocoa in Hagen, you might know, it's yellow, we call we call it One Moon. Oh, One Moon, I thought it was Besta, Wagi Besta. Oka, Oka One Moon, we call it. Now, that cocoa came from Japan, and I was like, wing on. <laughs> I just had to see that. It's just beautiful. I was like tasting home in that packet when I brought it yeah, home to cook. It's just beautiful. Oh, that's so lovely. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that, you know, 
these foods are more readily accessible there. And, you know, it looks like there's quite a big market for it as well down in Australia. Mind you, they're, they're quite expensive. But, I mean, you can also you can also grow it down there, you know, as long as, you know, yeah, yeah, taro yeah, leaves, taro leaves. I know islanders are right into taro leaves. I wish we in PNG ate more of taro leaves. It's, it just seems to be an option to us. But yeah. I know, you know, Fiji, Samoa, they're really into the polisami. And, you know, if you're not aiming for just a root, you can plant the taro and just harvest the leaves. And, you know, that would be easier yeah. than... Harvesting the root crop. That's sustainability advocate Jennifer Bain, and she had a lot more to say about traditional foods and sustainability in a recent episode of Culture Compass here on Radio Australia. You can find that at our website or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks to all my guests today: the Samoa scientist Amy Maslin Miller, dietitian Salonieta Awea, and Jennifer Bain. Reversing the diabetes epidemic in the Pacific won't be easy, but nothing worth doing is ever easy. Take it slowly and try to make simple, achievable changes, like replacing a bowl of sweet cereal in the morning with a bowl of delicious fruits and nuts. You might be surprised by how good it tastes. Sisters Let's Talk is hosted by me, Hilda Wayne, for Radio Australia. Our supervising producer is Kim Lester, and our executive producer is Falenga Fulu in Kastunsna. Sisters Let's Talk is created on the lands of Bindal, Wulguru Kaba, Duranbul, Wurundjeri, Jagera, and Turbul peoples. And we pay respect to elders past and present. And that's all, next time.